ฮาเลลูยาฮาเลลูยาฮาเลลูยา Praise the Lord The word of God is root is true is powerful it lives is active is quick and it produces results and i pray and is a desire that that will be enacted in our lives from this weekend in the name of jesus we have a man who in the next few minutes god we used to minister to us you have prayed for him is a man who is a testimony of living by every word of god he is a professor of accountancy he had a first class in the days of yore 30 years and more counting when it was rare to have first class in a subject as accountancy and he has professed accountancy to the highest degree He has been a director general of institutes where accountancy graduates and authority figures are trained in this country but beyond that he has professed the word of god every inch of his life is a living testimony of it he has lived by the word he has digested the word and the lord has formed the word in him so much so that even when being considered for a very high position those in mighty and high places who were to take a decision said you more than qualify you are the best the only problem we have with you is that we've been told that you cannot bend that you can only live straight according to your conscience and so we will not give you this position so that's the testimony that living by the word has given him brethren we have in our midst somebody who has lived around and in enugu more than many of us who are here so he's been an indigenous of enugu of a sort he's been here in the earlier years of this place he was part of building here he's relocated to oka and from there he's been going around the country duty tour professionally and by reason of the word For many years he was the coordinator of the Bible study sessions in the cathedral here at the church of the good shepherd and God used him to streamline the word study life of many of people there and stay counting and until quite a while ago he was the coordinator of mission and evangelism for the diocese of Oka but suffice it to say that today He comes as a humble servant of God to use of God to be a blessing to impact our lives. So join me to welcome to the podium to take on today by the grace of God a brother, a father, a mentor, a teacher of the word, Professor Ben Chuka. Professor, to take on to O chechiri ba chirini menezi megemba chiwindo megepo ozo ki hengoze ngo bata ki hengoze ngo bata ki hengoze ngo 
yourself unto the Lord for this weekend of visitation. Yes, so I carefully chose my words. Visitation. The Lord plans to visit you personally. Settle in your mind, settle in your heart what you will place before the Lord this weekend. The word of God says that the entrance of the word brings light. It brings life. As you open up and allow the entrance of his word to come in. There will be a transformation. And there will be a visitation. Ask God to put a word in my mouth. That will meet your need at this hour. Every stronghold of the enemy must be broken. Every offense and obstacle of hell shall be uprooted. God will make a straight way for himself. He wants to touch your life. He wants to transform you and give you a testimony. He wants to turn your darkness into light and your death into life. Ask God to use this weekend to refresh you, to revitalize you, to renew your testimony. And so, Eternal Father, we hide once again underneath the cross, anchored upon the rock of ages. Lord, we ask to be shielded at this hour, that your word will have free course in our lives. Father, that you will speak unto your people. There will be healing. There will be deliverances. There will be reconciliation. There will be salvation. Lord, you will you honor your word. Even at this hour, Lord, honor it yet again. Have your way, Lord, as we go on. May we minister not flesh, but spirit. That you may not deal with your people in wrath, but in love. As I open my mouth, O oh Lord, fill it. And as your people incline their ears, speak into their hearts. This is our prayer, eternal Father. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And let the people say,
Amen. Turn with me quickly to two short scriptures. Matthew chapter 4 verse 4 and Deuteronomy chapter 8 verses 1 to 3. We will read quickly those two short passages. Matthew chapter 4 verse 4. But let me begin from verse 3. Now when the tempter came to Jesus, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You know, the devil can be very bold, you know. Looking at the only begotten son of the father. Looking at God in human flesh. Looking at the one who parted the heavens and stepped out of eternity into time. The devil dared to look him in the face and say, if you are the son of God. I usually compare it with somebody coming to tell me, if you really say you are a professor of accountancy, what is accounting? I, I don't know where I get the point I'm making. I, you may decide to give him three or four definitions to choose one. Why? Because you are what he's saying you are not. Jesus could have said, I am the Son of God. I have all the powers in the world. He could have demonstrated all that the devil wanted and turned the stones to bread. Even if he ate or not, he could have just done it. But he answered, There is a mind of God you need to understand as we go into these scriptures, this period, these two, three days. I want us to understand the mind of God. Oftentimes, he does not take things the way we take them. He does not follow the logic we follow. We are going to see it by God's grace. He said, look, I want you devil to also know that man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Let's go together again to Deuteronomy chapter 8, where that passage was quoted from. Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning to read at verse 1. God again was speaking through Moses. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. Verse 3. So he humbled you. Allowed you to hunger. And fed you with manna. Which you did not know. Nor did your fathers know. Why? That he might make you know. That man shall not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth. 
of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let me say quickly at the onset that we need to understand the nature of the word of God. Uh, many years ago, here in this town, a friend of mine, a professor of uh, mechanical and I think mechanical and metallurgical engineering. I know that he's in, in mech engine, definitely. He had given his life to Christ and he was giving his testimony. He said he was in Amok before. And he rose quite well in Amok. I don't know what their grades meant, but he said he had got to the 11th grade. was at the 11th level. And he said there was something they did for him. They gave him a word. And that word was like something, a talisman that solved every problem he had. Anytime he faced a difficult situation, he brought up that word. Well, one day he heard the word of God and he gave his life to Christ. He said the moment he accepted Christ, he could no longer remember that word they gave him. Until the day he was testifying, he had never remembered the word again. And he was, we were just wondering. Then I remember John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And God said that particular word that he gives, he said he is life. The life of man. And the light of man. He said, once the real life word came, the counterfeit word disappeared. Until date, he has not been able to remember that word. God speaks his word in integrity. He backs his word to the hilt. He's ready to stake his reputation on his word. There's a comment I used to make. I used to say that every word of God is a strong enough peg upon which you can hang your life or your career. And it will sustain it. Hello? If you get a word, I remember when we were on campus, one pastor wanted a car. In those days, it was unheard of for pastors to be just desiring cars. They thought to be worldliness. So anybody he told, the person would say, ah, you are becoming worldly. He traveled all the way from Imo to Nsuka, looking for somebody who will agree with him that he needs a car. When he told one brother, you see what, I think I, the brother said exactly, you need it for the work of God, he said, thank God for you. Let's hold hands and pray. They prayed and he got his car. Every other person thought he was worldly. What am I talking about? The word of God says, if any two of you shall agree as touching anything, which you will ask upon the earth of my Father who is in heaven, it shall be done for you. And he said, I want to stand on that scripture. Let me just find somebody who will agree with me. And when he had found a person, he found his miracle. Every word of God is strong enough for you to hang your life upon it and it will sustain it. You hang your career upon it and it will sustain it. 
You hang your family there, they will be safe. The word of God. You know, <laughs> I read something in Psalm 138 verse 2, where God said that he raised his word above all his names. God regards his word highly. He says he watches over his word to perform it. God helping us, we will make an excursion into that word these three days and allow God to speak expressly to us on what he wants us to learn from this time of sharing. Now, I'm sure you know, you have heard it said, that when the Israelites were leaving the land of Egypt and going to the promised land, the land of Canaan, it was a journey like the journey that the church is embarking, is support on now. We call Israel the church in the wilderness. Here were a people who had been slaves for how many years? 430 years they were slaves in the land of Egypt. By the way, how did they get to Egypt? Eh? Famine. There was famine in the land. And they went for what? For food. But when they stayed too long, the land of food became the land of bondage. Child of God, beware. Some of the things we pursue, because we think that they are answers. Somebody says, it works. And I say, it's not everything that works that is of God. They stayed too long that Egypt became the land of bondage. 430 years they were slaves. And when they were set free, they had an overhang. The slave mentality went with them. They had no armies. They were not trained soldiers. They were strangers to the land they were traversing. They had no armories, no chariots, no iron weapons. How could Israel overcome all the nations along the way? And get to the promised land. And occupy it. Have you ever wondered at that? How could it be? They didn't have a standing army. All these nations had armies. They had armories. And what was more. They were passing through hostile territory. So the way I usually put it. Israel wanted the land of promise. Canaan. But there were people already possessing the land. They wanted the land. But there were people already there. How do you force them out? In law, they say possession is not ownership, isn't it? But when you have possessed something for 400 years, possession will become ownership. So they thought they owned the land. But Israel came with the word of God. Our God said this is our land. And that's what we are coming to do. You are coming to possess it. The enemy has sword, javelin, spears, chariots, all kinds of armory. And what do you have? Just the word and the promise of God. God has spoken and we are coming. In the end, who won? Eh? I don't know. May God help us to begin to understand what, where we are going. God had a plan for Israel. He said, I want you to have cities you did not build. Now, brethren, 
I have heard people who say, you got what you, you deserve. When I was promoted a professor, one of my friends halted me and said, congratulations. It is what you deserve. I told him, I'm not, it's not what I deserve. It's the mercy of God. I said, it's the mercy of God. Some people work harder than me. They are not yet professors. Some of my teachers were still, in fact, some of them retired, senior lecturers. And uh, I, I'm not claiming to be better than my, my teachers. But I found the grace and the mercy of God. So, I, I said, it's not a matter of just saying that, you know, God takes pains to give you what you have not really worked for. The story of my life is that the Lord clears the path for me. And friend, that can also be your testimony tonight in the name of Jesus. He can make the hills to become plains. He can make the crooked places to become straight. God has a habit of providing for his people far more than they merit. When I come to God's throne of mercy to ask for grace, I tell God I'm not looking for justice. I am looking for mercy. If you give me justice, I will not be alive. There is nothing I have done that makes me feel that I merit the blessings of God. No. We are going to see our true God. He said, I will give you cities you have not built. I will give you houses you have not constructed. And then he went on. You will have wells that you did not even dig. And then vineyards and olive trees you never cultivated. God said, I will fill you with all these things. For only one purpose. I want you to fear me and to serve me. That was God's plan. But what was the reality that Israel saw? Just like the church today. There was difficulty every step of the way. They faced hunger. There was thirst. No water. They faced hostile environment. Sun was scorching from above. And God raised a pillar of cloud to cover them. In the night it was dark. He raised a pillar of fire. When there was hunger, he fed them with manna, the bread of angels. And when they were thirsty, he brought water from the rocks. And we did a study in my church recently on that, on that journey. I noticed one thing. Each time they had a need, they would grumble. They would say, look, Moses, why did you bring us out? Eh? We were eating pots of meat and in Egypt. I never saw the pot of meat they were eating. They only know how they ate it. I never saw it in the Bible. They were very, very comfortable. We were having siesta every afternoon. And now you brought us out of this terrible place. Moses will call upon God. God will hear and say, These people, he hey, hey. will provide them food. Tomorrow they grumble about water. And God will wait. They will grumble, grumble. He will provide them water. And then one day I asked God, I said, God, are you waiting for them to grumble before you meet their need? Are you waiting for them to complain before you answer them? And God answered me from Deuteronomy chapter 8. I wasn't waiting for them to grumble. I wanted to test them to see what was in their heart. So that they will know that no man can live by bread alone, but by every word. That proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. All that God wanted. Was for Israel to learn to depend on God. 
So when you sit back and you complain and say how God has opened fair to you, how you have suffered, God is giving you an opportunity to prove yet again that man is not to live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of the Lord. As it was then, so it is now. As you face challenges in your life, as you face difficulties in your studies, as you face unusual challenges in your professional practice. I was a student here at the University of Nigeria, Enugu campus. My brother there has shared part of my testimony. In my final year, God gave me a word. Psalm 91 verse 14b. It says, I will set him on high because he knows my name. I held on to that verse. I wrote it on my textbook. I wrote it on my notebook. Every notebook I had, I wrote it on the cover. I will set him on high because he knows my name. I knew that that was a word that God clearly gave to me. And I held on to it. In the end, thank God, I give God all the praise and glory. I graduated with a first class. It was the mercy of God. Because ask any teacher, the difference between A and AB is, can be just one mark. Only God tilts us where he wants us to be. And so I began to see that this all that God wanted was for me to hold him at his word. To believe him. To trust him. I don't know, I'm sure how many, many of you have read here the story of uh, Ben Carson. Gifted hands. Unfortunately, the man's uh, practice of medicine was not matched by his uh, foreign into politics. He wanted to be president, president of the United States and he's having a rough deal. Uh, they, you, can't, you can't enter and possess in the world anyhow. But that man said something I, I found interesting. He said, when I am on the operating table, that there is a grace God had given him, as he's looking at this side, He's seeing everything, the reality behind there. And he said, God had given him gifted hands. God gives us opportunity in our professional practice to prove the faithfulness of God. To see the word of God come alive in what we are doing. That was the way Jesus lived. I was asking some people, I said, can you imagine the story of Jesus? That kind of biography does not, you know, nobody gets excited over it. You were born to a carpenter in a manger. Why could, even if it is corridor, isn't that good enough? Why a manger mixed with the saliva and the droppings of sheep and goats? He went right down. And I was asking, why? Why? And not only that, all through his life there were no crowns except the crown of thorns. He brought himself so low. And I was thinking, I said, Jesus never had a, a million naira in his bank account if he had any account at all. If he had any account at all, I'm sure there were no millions there. And not only that, he needed a miracle to pay his tax. Some people say, if, you, if somebody can be called Boroboro, if you like, you can call Jesus Boroboro. He borrowed a boat to preach. He borrowed a small boy's lunch to feed his followers. 
He borrowed a coin to make an illustration about the image of Caesar. He borrowed a colt to ride into Jerusalem on the day of the triumphal entry. He borrowed a house to celebrate the Passover with his followers. And when he died, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. It doesn't sound successful. And I was asking God, why? It was as if God was using the base things, the weak things, the foolish things, the empty things in order to confound the world. Why? God wants you and I to know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You know, we are in the latest season, and very soon we'll talk about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. One day in our church, in Atoka, I asked him a question. I said, come, why did Jesus have to die? He could have lived an exemplary life, preached wonderful sermons, done great miracles, shown us example of how to live, demonstrated good leadership, and then ride back to heaven on cloud nine. Wouldn't he have, he should have been shown us the way to heaven. Wouldn't he have? Why did he have to die? Because God wants your faith not to rest on abracadabra, but on the God who raises the dead. He wants to bring us to the point where we will hold the word of God and know that this is the only way to overcome and to survive. God wants us to come to the point where we will know that there is a God that brings something good out of something desolate. You know what? Each time I consider the story of the death and resurrection, it gives me cause for hope. I don't know how far gone your situation is. I don't know how desperate, beyond redemption, men have passed verdict on that situation and said, no way. Well, I have a God who brings life to the dead and who speaks of the things that are not as though they were. When we begin to realize that such a God exists, our lives will begin to take on the form that God wants it to have. God wants us to carry the treasure in earthen vessels so that the excellency may be of God, not of us. He doesn't want any flesh to glory in his presence. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and read from, uh, I think it's verse 27 to 29. You will see where he, take, he took pains to talk about it. He said, God, the foolish things God uses to confound the wise. The weak things he uses to confound the strong. And he asked, why? So that we will realize that God, the victory that God gives is his alone. No flesh will glory in his presence. Praise the Lord. I don't, I'm not sure you understand what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that God is not looking for any champion. God is not looking for champions. God is looking for ordinary men. Ordinary women. 
who will trust God in every situation they are in. Who will hold on to the word of God. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Jesus Christ sent his message to the seven churches. There was only one church that had no negative comment. Which church? Which one? Eh? Thank you, my sister. Philadelphian church. There was not a single negative comment about the Philadelphian church. You know what was said about the Philadelphian church? That they had little strength. Hello? God is looking for people with little strength. The church is filled with men with mighty strength. And they are so mighty that God cannot help them. God said to Gideon, The army you have is so large, I cannot help you. And I hear him saying so to very many people. Your abilities are so distinct. Your prowess is so pronounced. I can't put my hand there. the, the, The glory will go to the flesh. So go on. Keep managing your problems. You bring in one demon. You bring in another. You bring another. You keep managing them. Keep trying. I can't come in. But when a man realizes that in himself he cannot do anything but hold on to the God who alone can do it, you begin to see the power of God. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He said, when I came to you, I came how? In fear and much trembling. Nobody comes these days in fear and much trembling. And he said, I do that so that your, your faith will not rest upon the power of men, but upon the power of God. Praise the Lord. What we are saying in effect is that God is allowing us to pass through situations and circumstances that will enable us to look up to God, hold on to His Word, and trust Him for what He wants to do in our lives. Let's look at a scripture. First, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12. That's another very familiar scripture. Second Corinthians chapter 12. Okay, let me say, uh, let me read from um, verse 3. I know a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. How he was caught up into paradise. And heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be, or hears from me. Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord 
three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Praise the Lord. Here was a man who had great revelations. Here was a man who had great visitation. A man that God granted revelations that would excite any church, excite any individual. But the funny thing was that as these revelations came, something else came with it. That is God's pattern. That is God's way. So that you will not begin to be exalted beyond measure. A thorn or was put, you know, uh, the, the gift came with a thorn. How many thorns are in the gift that God, you have received from God? Don't be dispirited. There is a purpose in it. God says, all I want is for you to realize that my grace is sufficient for you. When God says it, I believe it, it settles it. And when we walk in that kind of faith and conviction, we will see the faithfulness of God. Let's look at another man. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 to 10. Hebrews 11, 8 to 10. A very, another familiar figure, Abraham. Hebrews 11, 8-10 By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. I'm sure we remember the story of Abraham very well. Each time you have a blessing that God has promised you, and which Tarries. You remember Abraham. I had cause to remember him. I married 1981. Waited for the fruit of the womb. For 17 years. Praying and believing God. Trusting God month after month. And at some point asking God what is wrong. I began to see a little bit. Of the experience that a man like Abraham had. Ask any woman who is waiting for the fruit of the womb. As each cycle, monthly cycle passes, is your hopes are raised, they are dashed. They are raised, they are dashed. And when a man confronts that type of thing, the pressure from your wife, the pressure from you, no wonder the Bible said, against all hope, Abraham in hope still believed. Hello. Did you get that? Against all hope. Let me give you an example. You applied for a job. You were not shortlisted. 
They invited people for interview. You were not invited. After the interview, they wanted to call people who would be uh, given the job. You still sit in your house hoping that you will get the letter. Does that make sense? It doesn't. That was the kind of thing Abraham did. Against all hope, Abraham in hope still believed. The man who received a promise, 25 years had passed. He was over 90. His wife over 90. I think if I were Abraham, I would say God has tried. He used to be faithful. I remember in the time past, he used to answer. Maybe something happened this time. Let's, let's understand. I mean, actually, he tries. God said, Abraham, I have spoken my word. And I can never go back on my word. Abraham laughed. And said, hey, how can this be? Go back to the story. The first person to laugh was who? His wife. She said, how can I at this age? Then Abraham himself also laughed. I said, look, it's not possible. Instead, let Ishmael take over. God said, at this point, whether you like it or not, you must receive the promise. Friend, I believe that there is a time that God brings us to a point of no return. And he says, I have spoken. I will not go back on my promise. I have promised. And I will do that which I will promise. And God began to walk on Abraham. Look at the story of Abraham. A man who did not have even one. How many nations and races today claim to be children of Abraham? The, uh, the Muslims say they are, Abraham is their father. The Jews say Abraham is their father. The Christians say Abraham is their father. Is he not father of many nations? But when God gave the promise, it seemed like a joke. It seemed as if it was not possible. You could look around and say, how can this be? God called Abraham and said, come, follow me. And Abraham had nothing to show. He just followed God. Somebody said, that call God gave to Abraham was a dangerous call. You call a man and say, get up and follow me. You don't tell him where he's going. You don't tell him how long the journey will last. You don't even give him a map to describe where he's going. You don't tell him what kind of neighborhood he will meet when he gets there. And somebody said, I don't know how Abraham explained this thing to his in-laws as he took his wife along. And he took her along and went. A uprooted from his people. And when he followed God, God said, I have spoken. Abraham has obeyed. I will fulfill my word. I want to bring you word today. God will fulfill his word to you too. In the name of Jesus. What has he spoken? Where has he addressed your challenges and your problems? When I look at the story of Abraham. Somebody said there are seven gifts. That you call the gift of Abraham. One is longevity. Long life. The other one is favor. Always favor before God. The third one is friendship with God. The other one is fruitfulness. The other one is prosperity. There is also victory in any and every situation 
There is exaltation above all that challenge him. Seven whole promises. Seven whole blessings that follow this man. Abraham's blessings can be yours too. In the name of Jesus. Abraham believed in the God who spoke of the things that were not as though they were. And as he held on to God, he saw the faithfulness of God. As I go on, I want to talk a little about David. You know, there were things David knew that made him the man after God's heart. And I believe that Christians today need to know those things. Let's turn to Psalm 89. 34 to 37. Psalm 89. If you find it, you can read it for us. I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness and I will not lie to David that his line will continue forever and his throne endure before me like the sun. It will be established forever like the moon, the faithful, the faithful witness in the sky. Praise the Lord! May God say the same thing about you in the name of Jesus. He said, my covenant I will not break. Nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. What word had gone out of his lips? God looked at his, at his small boy. Who was not even qualified. You know, I, I wrote a small pamphlet. I titled it, Give Me a Man. It was just taken from Goliath's taunt. Goliath stood and challenged Israel. Give me a man. Let him fight with me. Give me just one man. Why are you going to fight everybody? Just one man. Let him come out. If he defeats me, we will serve you. If I defeat him, you will serve us. And Goliath stood there. How many feet? Over nine feet. A hunk of a man. Six fingers on each hand. And six toes on each foot. He was a human war machine. Everything about him spelled trouble. And the people of Israel hid. For 40 days, he was taunting them. He would stand up and say, Israel, <laughs> what of Unagod? Unagod, don't wake up. I'm still here. And for 40 days it continued. Until one small boy came. I said, what is this uncircumcised Philistine talking? I said, this one not be small boy matter. He said, don't worry. I know the God I serve. He helped me. And I tore a lion. And I tore a bear, a wave, you know, that came to attack my flock. This man would just be like one of them. Give me! <laughs> Goliath asked for a man. But a boy stepped out. Hello? When the men are not there, the boys will take over. A boy stepped out. Saul said, look, let's try and see what you can do. Dress him in the armor. Let's see whether he can redeem our honor. Do you know what Saul was doing? Placing the future of the entire Jewish nation on one small boy. 
What of him if the border boy had been defeated? Israel would have been slaves. And I said, go, go, God be with you. And when this boy stepped out, he had four things that I want to challenge you about. Number one, David had had an encounter with God. Hello? He had had an encounter with God. I'm not talking about the theory. You may have been born into the church. You have been grown in the church. You may have known all the theory and all the theology. But have you had a personal encounter with the Lord? Has the Lord touched you? And have you touched him? A woman said, if only I can touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. Have you touched him? Secondly, David had uh, came without any desire for self-glory. He said, I'm not here to be for any, I just want the world to know that there is a God in Israel. So as he came, he came with confidence. There is a third thing he had. He had a testimony. Not only did he have an encounter, he had a testimony. I remember many years ago when the Lord visited me. I remember the word he gave me. I remember the power he gave me. I remember the utterance he gave me. He had a testimony. And as he stepped out, the God of Israel went with him. Go back and read that that scripture. 1 Samuel chapter 17. The Bible said, David overcame Goliath, but he did not have a sword in his hand. It specified it. There was no sword in his hand. David said, it is not by flesh. It's not by armor of uh, um, uh, the arms of men. It is by today you will know that God delivers, not with swords, not with spears, not with all these things. And in the end, what happened? David won the day. David was a man after God's heart. God had spoken things concerning him. Even when David made his mistakes, God held on to something. What was, what made David very different? There were five things David knew. And I just want to mention them before we begin to round up. Number one, David knew that God is not impressed by the strength of man. Nor is he depressed by the weakness of man. Did you hear me? God is not impressed by your strength. Ah, God, you don't know me. I can fast for one week without stopping. God is not interested. He's not looking for champions. He's not looking for people who will lay boasts of what they have attained on the ground. No, he's still afraid of people who say, God, I want to follow you. But I'm not strong. I'm weak. He's not depressed by your weakness. Nor is he impressed by your strength. There are many times I pray a peculiar prayer. I tell God, this is what I think you want me to do. But Lord, I will find it difficult to do it. Help me. Help me. Make a way for me. God can show you what to do and help you to do it. He can chart a course for your feet. He can lift you above every obstacle. He can strengthen you in face of every challenge. That is what God does. And David 
knew that. Secondly, David knew that the heart of God was for him. Even in his weakness and failings. He knew that God was not against him because of his sins. But was for him against those sins. Always David knew God was on his side. Every child of God must get this lesson very clear. God is with me. Unless you are not a child of God. Of course God expects me to walk rightly. Of course God expects me to put things right. But God, the heart of God is with his people. And God will stand with you as you face these challenges. Number three. No weakness, no sin should be allowed to destroy your relationship with God. In other words, even when you fail, still hold on to God. That was the example of David. I don't know whether you remember when David counted the fighting men in Israel. I don't know what he wanted to prove. Maybe he wanted to show that he was the greatest king in the history of Israel. You know, Nigerian governors, they like when people say, since this this state started, nobody has done what you have done. You are the best. You have built all the, the roads, everything. Everybody wants superlative. David also wanted. They go and count the men. So that I will know how many people fight for me. And God said, because you have done that, you are in trouble. Three things. Choose one. The only man in scripture that God gave a choice of the punishment that would come to him. Do you want a plague that will last three days? Or do you want your enemies to chase you for just three months? Or do you want hunger to come upon the land for, you know? David looked up and looked down and said, Let me cast myself into the hand of the Lord. For I know that even in judgment, God remembers mercy. Hallelujah. He understood God. Do you remember the story of Adam? Adam sinned and when he heard the voice of God, what did he do? He ran away and hid. David ran to God. Your weaknesses, your sins must not put you away or create a division between you and God. Number four. God can deal with sin. But he cannot deal with pretense. God has no... He is put off by your pretense. Quit your lying. Stop pretending. And be plain and honest before God. Be open before Him. When God sees your simplicity, your openness, you know, your commitment, He does what He wants to do. He will stretch forth His hand to make a difference in your life. But when you begin to pretend what you are not, and act what you are not, and claim what you are not, you create a problem for yourself. And your work with God. And lastly, David knew what it takes to be a real spiritual man. What's that? To be consistent in your weak pursuit of God. Somebody says, I don't have much strength. 
this is only what I can do. That little you can do, that's all that God wants. Do it consistently, day after day. Follow Him consistently. I noticed one thing when we were in school. When we graduated, the people who have remained most remarkable in the service of God after graduation, we are not the Jim Jim brothers when we were on campus. The Jim Jim brothers, they were earthquakes. Most of them faded away. When we grow, no, I'm not, I'm not happy they did, but that's the truth. It was people who were feeling that, ah, he's just waiting to graduate, he will backslide. They are the ones who remain strong and who became pillars in the church of Jesus Christ. God is expecting us in our simple faith, in our simple understanding, to hold on to his word and see him show himself strong on our behalf. As I begin to round up, I just want to say a few things about myself. Because whatever I say essentially will be a result of how God has dealt with me. I was born into a very religious home. Born into the church, baptized, confirmed, a communicant. I used to tell people, if you boast of those who confirmed you, I can boast to. The person who confirmed me was a former Archbishop of West Africa, C.J. Patterson. I was in DMGS then. So, if that is the ticket to heaven, I had it. But something was zealous for the things of God. We used to go, you know, I, when I was in DMGS, I remember sixth form. From Agobosi, we will trek before 7 a.m. We'll be at the cathedral to have Holy Communion service. We were committed. We were zealous. We were always in the church. But the tragedy of it was that we never knew the man who owned the church. We came to the church. We were very visible in the church. But we never got to know the owner of the church. That was the story of our lives. In fact, one of my friends in those days, with whom I used to go for these early morning services, is the current vice chancellor of uh, Paul University at Oka. We were mates. We were always trekking to you know, to catch holy communion services. And right now, he's a venerable and a professor. And a vice chancellor. And that was how we grew. I graduated sixth form. Look, waiting to enter the university. Running around like every young man of my age. Until one day, somebody came. It was in a church service. I attended church. St. Stephen's Omoya. And somebody came and gave me a, a, a tract. Initially, I was angry. How can you give somebody a tract in a church? Go and give them in the in where they're pagans are. Here, we are not pagans. We are all Christians. But I noticed that this young man was different. He was praying so much. He was taking so much interest in what was happening in the church. Me, I was whiling away time. and wondering. So, as the prayer was going on, I was listening to his prayer. Not to the prayer that the priest was praying. To know whether I will hear what he's saying. At the end, I called him. I said, are you scripture in your, are you one of these SU people? He said, yes. Where do you meet? He told me. That afternoon I went. And I heard a message 
that changed my life. March 11, 1973. That was the day I gave my life to Jesus. And after that day, I'm not sure I knew exactly what happened. I just came away saying, well, what has happened? But I remember what the man who counseled me told me. He said, God is now your father. Anything you need, kneel down and talk to him. And you will receive direct ministration from him. I went back that night, slept, woke up, knelt down and prayed. I told God what I wanted. Within two, three days, God met my answer. Answered my prayer in a very dramatic way. I entered the university. University of Nigeria. And of course as I was entering, I went straight into Christian Union. And I grew through Christian Union. And all through these years, God has shown me that the best thing that can be said for any man is that he's a child of God. There's no better thing you have. That this world is meant to walk according to the word of God. When you live according to the word of God, you have the key to unlock the mysteries and the secrets of this planet. Maybe if God helps us tomorrow, we'll talk about it. That the earth, the earth, the earth will till for food. When man disobeyed God, God cursed the earth. And there was a rebellion of the earth. So you plant and it produces tears. You plant and it produces, you have to toil to survive. When man lives in obedience, the curse upon the earth shall be reversed. There's God will unlock the earth. And you will discover that your profession will hold blessings for you. Your career will hold blessings for you. Your vocation will hold blessings for you. Even your family. These things are tied to your obedience to the word of God. As you walk by that word. As you live by that word. As you let the word of God condition your thoughts your conduct, your language, you'll discover that you are brought into line to walk in consonance with God's plan for you. I believe that God wants to do something definite in our lives. God wants to put into our hands the keys that will enable us to overcome and to triumph. The challenge is to hold the word. Have you had an encounter with him? Does Jesus live in your heart by faith? Can you honestly say that if the trump of God were to sound now, that you will be, you will just rise to be with the Lord in the air? Have you settled some matters beyond doubt that you belong to the Lord? Our brother was sharing some of the testimonies of my life. Yes. I have had situations where people told me clearly, in fact, somebody asked me, this thing, what are you going to do? This verse is all she prays. Well, I, I just told him, I said, what the world is demanding for some of these things is a price that I cannot pay. They want my values, my convictions, the things I believe in. And I have no, I won't change. Even in the Anglican church. There at Nambiaziki where somebody said 
Ah, the time. Anglican should produce a vice chancellor now. And then, who doesn't know that Osisioma is not a, an Anglican? He's a Pentecostal. And so, the day they were saying, they were saying yeah, I'm an Anglican. No? I was born into the Anglican church. I'm a member of the PCC. I'm a licensed lay reader. I'm a, I, when I finish it, the only thing is that I had an encounter with Jesus. And I'm not ready to deny that. It is the priority of my life. It is the thing upon which I stand. I want to ask you this evening. What do you stand upon? What is the boast of your life? When all these things that the world puts around us, they are removed. What will remain in your life? You know, at times a life can be like uh, onions. You peel them off layer by layer, layer by layer. At the end, what remains in your life? Is it the word? Is the word of God at the core of your being? Have you built on your, your life upon the word that will never fail? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory as on the only begotten son of the father. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Do you walk in that light? Do you walk in that life? That is the challenge. This evening as we round off this first uh, session, we ask ourselves the question again. Do I walk according to the word of God? Is the word the factor my life is made of? Is the core of my being you know, you know, ingrained with the word of God. What is the word of God to you? Let us just bow our heads to pray. Somebody recited a poem. I love reciting. He says. You may be strong and well now. That is fine. You hope to remain so. That is natural. You may be disappointed. That is possible. You will die. That is sure. You better start to get ready. That is wisdom. I don't know whether you are here tonight. And you have never resolved this issue of your eternal destiny. Is Jesus in your heart? For me, I shared a testimony of what happened many years ago when I stood up and invited Jesus into my heart. Has Jesus come into your heart? The gospel is a simple statement. A, B, C, D. A, admit that you are a sinner. B, believe that Jesus came in the flesh and died for your sins. C, Call upon him to come into your life by faith. D. Dedicate your life to live for him from now henceforth. Will you do that? Will you open up your heart and invite Jesus into your life? Re 
If you are here tonight and you want to consciously invite Jesus into your heart by faith, I want you to place your right hand upon your chest and pray this prayer after me. Just place your right hand upon your chest and pray this prayer after me. My Lord and my God, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you paid the price for my sins. Thank you that you have salvaged me from the power of sin. Be my Lord. Be my God. I open the door of my heart and I invite you to come into my heart and be my Lord and my Savior. I pledge from this day onwards to live for you. I will serve you. I will walk according to your word. And I will be an instrument for your own glory. Fight my battles. Lift me up. Prosper me. Grant me your favor. I ask all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time and you really mean it, just lift up your hand. I'm going to pray for you. God bless you as you do that. Those that honor God, God will honor. God bless you. Eternal and gracious Father, thank you for these ones, O Lord, who have boldly identified their position with you. Father, they have prayed to invite Jesus Christ into their hearts. Lord, I pray for them. Fight their battles. Grant them heaven's victory. Lift them over every challenge of the enemy. You said those that draw near to you, you will draw near to them. Father, even so, draw near to these words. In the name of Jesus. Write their names in the Lamb's book of life. Grant them the grace, O Lord, to always be victorious. And to be overcomers. Those of them who are students. Prosper them in their studies. Those of them who are workers. Make a way for them where they work. Father in their different families. Let your blessings be their portion. And lifting up. And you lift them up. In Jesus precious name we pray. And Father for the rest of us. Who have come for this program. Lord may these days. Be days of. Definite resolution. To walk with you. A resolve. To live in your word. Trusting you. To fight our battles. And to give us heaven's victory at every turn. Keep us O Lord in the straight and narrow path. Grant us heaven's victory. At every turn. To you be honor and glory and praise and thanks. In Jesus precious name we pray.